Hi, this is Charlie Goodchild and Andrew Goodall, and you're listening to the Health Space Podcast. This is the podcast where we dive deep into health-related questions and topical issues relevant to us all. The world of health and medicine is messy, full of contrasting opinions and misleading advice. We will challenge the myths and common misconceptions by exploring the evidence, speaking to leading experts along the way. We are physiotherapists, have been friends since university and share the same belief that everyone deserves the opportunity to access high quality, up-to-date health information. When it comes to health, we believe that better never ends. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. We recorded this episode shortly before we heard of the death of reality TV star and Big Brother star Nikki Graham. Her struggles with anorexia were well known. It's so important to raise awareness of eating disorders. We're really lucky that Rachel came on to talk about eating disorders so eloquently. And she raises some really interesting points that are so often misunderstood. One final point before we get started. I just wanted to apologise for the slightly distorted sound quality on my end. Seems like I had the wrong microphone attached. I'll try and make sure that gets sorted for next time. Hopefully it doesn't disturb the listening experience too much. But here we go. Today's podcast, we've got uh, Dr. Rachel Evans, a child psychologist and a specialist in eating disorders uh, with us. We're both very, very excited to hear what she's got to say. The reason we decided to do this podcast is a little bit selfish, really, um, in terms of we both have seen uh, patients with uh, eating disorders, mainly for problems with relation to physiotherapy or uh, pain related issues, but present with uh, eating disorders alongside this. And, and we have both admitted that we struggle to have these conversations or struggle to address some of the the dogma or the stigma uh, or the taboo part around eating disorders. And as such, uh, having found uh, Rachel on Instagram uh, and her amazing uh, podcast and profile on Instagram, we decided that let's get somebody on who knows what they're talking about. Let's have a, a really in-depth, uh, a natural conversation where we can learn and hopefully uh, our listeners can and gain from it too. So, Charlie, uh, what are your thoughts? I think this is the first podcast where um i really feel like a novice and, and like i'll be learning right from scratch so i'm really keen to to learn from rachel hear what she's got to say hopefully come away from it feeling a, a, a bit more knowledgeable a bit more comfortable to be having these conversations and hopefully everyone else all our listeners will feel the same as well so rachel we've introduced you in a, in a small way could you tell the listeners a little bit more about you yeah, I can. No pressure. Um, I'm going to do my best <laughs> to answer all your questions. Um, so I actually have an experience with an eating disorder myself, which started as I wanted to eat healthy and then that got to maybe too healthy that wasn't actually healthy and then becoming scared of food, which then turned into um, binge eating and bulimia. So when I work with clients now in my one-to-one practice like as a psychologist I can kind of understand what they're going through obviously our experiences are different but I've kind of got some insight on both sides um, of the equation I guess um, and what else about me I love my cat <laughs> um, yeah and I just always love learning more about eating disorders about different kinds of therapy because I think it's not just one approach 
fits everyone. So I like learning like hypnotherapy and sort of new things every year, sort of to bring to my practice really. I think it's um the it's something that as a physio I feel quite strongly about as well, understanding the psychology of what goes on. It's not it's not just about knowing injuries from anatomy, you know, the the the, the joint that's injured, for example. It's about knowing getting inside someone's head and understanding where they're coming from. Um is is that is that sort of what where it that interest lies about really understanding where someone's coming from. Yeah, I think so. And I think you hit on it there as well of like it's actually for you guys like the physiology but then the psychology too and then in terms of eating disorders too it's about like the nutrition because obviously food has an impact on our mood it has an impact on our cognitive functioning so we kind of need to draw all of those things together and I guess in your practice as well you're helping people make behavior changes and then if they're not motivated to do that or they don't see the importance sometimes they probably don't take your advice as you just give it to them well-meaning um so yeah I think it's all really important really really related that's a great point finding out somebody's why i suppose is what me and charlie often refer it to um uh, and obviously there's lots of lots on this how how do you go about finding out somebody's why when in relation to uh, eating disorders several ways because i guess for the eating disorder there's the why of why am i eating as i do so maybe if someone's restricting um, thinking like, oh, I'll be happier when I lose weight, which rarely ever actually happens, but that belief is there. Um, but then there's also the why of like, why might I like to recover? And so one of the first things I kind of do with clients is exploring that. Like the, sounds like so, sounds pretty boring to do, but it's actually really insightful of like, what would be the good things about it if you stayed as you are? What might be the bad things? What would be the good things about changing? And what might be the things you would worry about changing so that's kind of one level and then the next level I kind of try and get into like what are their values like do they want to have a family um you know do they want to advance in their career and how is an eating disorder stopping someone from doing that um I also like to find out what tv programs they like (laughs) just in case you want a little bit of downtime chat to um to do that as well so I try and get a picture of like I guess the person as a whole too, like, and they're interesting so we can bring them in as a motivation. I think understanding the person is is key. And and even from, I, I love that about just finding out about the TV programs they watch. Um, you know, t- tonight I made a, a moussaka because I had a conversation with a patient who is, uh, he, he cooks Greek food all the time and, and he got chatting to me, showing me loads of pictures and, and, and it just seemed fascinating that, that was his passion. I thought, actually, I really want to find out about your passion. We got talking about it. So off the back of it, he sent me all these recipes. So I thought, you know what, tonight I'm going to make that masaka. Um, and it's just great. It just makes you feel like you're really connecting with the person on a deeper level when you when you sometimes you just tap into something that's not quite what they came for, but allows you to connect with them slightly better. Yeah, one of my um, clients, I feel like the people who are about my age, it's kind of easier for me to relate to them because we've probably got more in common, whereas some of my younger clients, um, she won't mind me saying because we always have a laugh about it, um, she likes RuPaul's Drag Race. And so I've been watching that and my husband is like, get that off the TV. <laughs> I'm like, it's so good, they're so talented. Um, but it's just kind of nice that we can have that bit of chat so it's not also super serious all the time. Sometimes you need that little bit of belief or like relatability as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you can't kind of come down to their lo- level, often it's impossible to dive deeper into a problem, right? If you can't kind of get to that uh, mid ground where you both sort of got a little bit of an understanding or built that rapport, it's almost impossible to 
get to that deeper meaning I suppose yeah I think it's super important for me that people don't see me as like she is a psychologist that behind her desk she's just telling me what to do because I don't have all the answers for someone I can help you find the answers for yourself but I'd kind of like what we said before if I'm just like do x y and z the person probably isn't just going to go away and do it um so it is important I think for me like you say to have that rapport in that relationship with clients and also that's I guess that's why people want to come back and see you the next week as well the point you make there um about person you know the person not doing necessarily what you what you said um that I find that that, that that's really interesting and, and resonates because I've spoken to many patients who say you know they've come away from a medical appointment whether it be about their eating disorder or not often feeling like the conversation about their eating disorder was well just eat more you know that that covers it quite nicely I've just been they're they're being told what to do but that doesn't get to their why or, or or delve deeper and enable them to kind of have that discussion which is great it sounds like your point about understanding them more uh, enables it to be more than that more than just a well just eat more yeah so you you already know but um people listening so my podcast is actually called just eat normally because that sometimes my clients do come to me and say I want to be able to just eat normally but they can't or their family or someone said to them why can't you just eat normally but it's obviously so much more than just that behavior and especially if you think about eating it's not just one thing you do it's like you're doing this probably three times a day or more there's actually lots of choices to be made about what food am I going to have how much food and I think if you don't have an eating disorder like a lot of your choices around food are probably just habits like you probably just habitually maybe have like cornflakes for breakfast and don't really think about it um whereas for most people with an eating disorder they would put a lot more thought into that behavior and so you're asking them to just change it but it's actually so many things it's people's beliefs about food it's their new habits that they've got around food that they then need to break um, and often there's a lot of emotions associated with the eating disorder so like fear of doing something different guilt of doing something different so we're asking the person to like just be okay with those feelings sort of just deal with those and just get over them as well which is can be quite difficult for people and people like need well I was gonna say people need support you don't need support but it can be helpful if you do get that support for um, for those things so yeah lots of things to work on really absolutely and and just just to think thinking about support and and a bit going into a bit more detail on support you i saw something on your instagram actually about this which referenced that quite often especially with the nhs the way that, that they support things is that only the sickest the most severe cases of eating disorder get any support and you mentioned that this is quite rare within healthcare and you, we wouldn't expect that to be the case in most other aspects of health can you tell us a bit more about that Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So um, that actually, I think I screenshotted um, something that was part of a campaign to get more funding for eating disorder research and more kind of bed space available for eating disorders. And it was kind of saying like, if you think about cancer, if someone has stage one cancer, they're not like, oh, let's just wait until it's stage four and then we'll help you. It's like, right, we need to get on this now. And the same with eating disorders, like there's evidence that early intervention is really important, but sometimes people can't get that because obviously there's, there's limited funding and you have to kind of prioritize, okay, this person's physical health, you know, maybe if they are very low body weight and we almost, yeah, prioritize people. But the thing is a person in a larger body could be eating very little and there's still physiological effects going on from them. Or if someone's purging, for example, their potassium levels 
could be too low, which could then lead to like a heart arrhythmia or something. But um, unfortunately, I don't, this isn't a dig. I don't mean it in any way to be a dig, but I think some doctors don't understand enough about eating disorders. And with an eating disorder, often people can be in denial for quite a long time. So they're already telling themselves, I'm not sick enough. I don't deserve to get help. No one will believe me. No one listens to me. This isn't a big enough thing. Or like wanting the rules to be more. And then so the doctor then saying, well, your blood tests are normal. You must be fine. It's kind of really invalidating what they're going through if it's actually having a massive knock-on impact in their life. So I think it is definitely something that should be spoken about more, but it's, it is really difficult trying to find that line, especially during COVID, you know, when resources are already stretched. But I think the main takeaway message um, for people listening would be, even if your like blood results have been normal, or even if you haven't lost weight, it doesn't mean that you don't have an eating disorder or disordered eating. Sorry to go on a rant for a second, but someone messaged me um, on Instagram the other day and to say, like, do I have an eating disorder because I've not lost weight? Well, actually, not everyone who has an eating disorder loses weight. Some people could eat very little, but their body is trying to protect you so much because of like genetic variability. One person could eat that amount and lose weight and look objectively very ill, in inverted commas, to that observer. But the other person could be doing the same behavior. It's having the same thoughts, but their body hasn't changed as much. And so we kind of say, oh, well, you're not as ill, but we kind of can't make that judgment. Absolutely. You're nodding. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Society's image of eating disorders quite often drifts towards the skinny, emaciated person when quite clearly that's not, not the case. So but it's more nuanced than that by the sounds of it. it. Can you tell us a bit more about, about that? Yeah, so usually people tend to think if we think about eating disorders, like you say, female, but actually from the statistics, um, about 25 to 30% of people with eating disorder are male. And I think that's probably an underestimate because there tends to be uh, more stigma around men coming forward, you know, that kind of like must be strong, boys don't cry kind of attitude. But also I think because there's a stereotype that females get eating disorders, some men don't even consider that they might have an eating disorder. It just like doesn't even enter their head because they're like, oh, well, that's for girls, I'm not a girl. But like I say, from the statistics, men do you have them. Um, sometimes people are surprised that I've had clients who um, are male as well, because my Instagram is very pink, but I've had some uh, male clients. And yeah, and then also like we were saying, like in terms of the weight, actually you can kind of have any body weight and have an eating disorder. So sometimes people lose weight, sometimes people stay the same weight, sometimes people gain weight, maybe if you're um, binge eating, so if you're regularly objectively eating a large amount of food in a short amount of time without sort of compensating for afterwards and um, that would be binge eating and if you're kind of feeling like guilt and shame around that maybe you're eating when you're not physically hungry then you might put on weight but actually you might not put on weight because it depends how regularly you're doing that behavior but actually in terms of the impact like I say if you're feeling that guilt and shame maybe you're hiding it from people uh, maybe you're worried about doing it again, you're thinking about it, it's actually having a big impact on your life. So maybe it's something to address. Um, and then like I already spoke about in the beginning, I had bulimia. So that was, I was also making myself um, like vomit after eating. So if you're like taking laxatives to compensate for eating, or if you're like excessively exercising um, after you've eaten, so that could just be your sort of regular amount of food, or it could be that you sort of overeat and have a binge and then try and get rid of that food 
but actually the behaviors that you're using to try and get rid of it have so many impacts on your health that are quite negative and it's really easy to think it's kind of like a few clients have said this to me recently actually and I'm going to write a blog post about it like you kind of think it's your get out of jail free card like oh I can just kind of undo all the damage of that food but actually you're causing more damage to your body um so they're kind of the main three eating disorders that we tend to think of so anorexia binge eating and bulimia but actually so 50% of people diagnosed with an eating disorder fit into the category of I had to write this down because I don't know why my brain won't retain it. Other specified feeding or eating disorders. I know the acronym, but when I have to say it aloud, so OSFED, um, which means that you don't neatly fit into the category. And it doesn't mean that you're not struggling and you don't have an eating disorder. It just means the way that people have decided to classify it in the diagnostic statistical manual, you just don't kind of fit into those boxes, um, which again can be quite invalidating for people. So yeah, that was quite a lot in one one topic, but that's an overview of eating disorders for you. Yeah, over half in a uncategorized category, if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, is was quite a shocking number to hear, actually. I wouldn't have expected that. And that just shows how hard it must be for those, well, on a few numbers, uh, a few aspects, people to one kind of maybe recognize it, uh, and then two, for people to recognize it within themselves. Yeah, so it might be, for example, um, if someone, so say with anorexia, people have this like fear of gaining weight, you know, they're putting importance on their weight. Um, and so for anorexia, like people are a very low body weight, but you could be doing those other things like eating very few calories a day. But like I said before, not lose the weight that we might expect someone to lose if they were eating that little because your metabolism really slows down and your body's really trying to protect itself and like shutting off all these sort of vital processes to try and keep you alive um, or maybe it's for example if you're binge eating or um, like binging and purging but it's like less frequent um, than the criteria but it doesn't mean like I say that it's not still impacting your life and impacting your health Some, something that, that that just made me think there was was I've almost seen eating disorders glamorized how do we do something about that is there a way of trying to address that yeah I think people who glamorize an eating disorder don't understand either they are very in an eating disorder that they kind of can't see the other side it's almost like you're in a box and you believe that everything you think is the truth and like so when I had um there's also orthorexia which is not a classified eating disorder but it's something that we um, talk about so thinking that you want to eat very clean or like pure food and being worried to eat anything that's not that Um, and when I was eating like that it's almost like I was in that box I didn't want to hear anyone else like do you not just want to come out for a coffee with us and I'd be like no because they don't have this certain milk or anything so um I think people glamorizing eating disorders are very so much in it that they can't see all the damage that it's doing and you know what it's taking away from their life like I've already said like social situations probably like you're not performing as well at work and stuff so there's lots of areas it's impacting or people just don't understand what it's like to live with an eating disorder if you're thinking oh I want um I guess it would be people glamorizing being thin but you think oh I'd love to be that thin I would love to just not eat or love to just not think about food the irony is a lot of people most people with anorexia I would say are thinking about food all the time they're thinking about the body all the time like it's never not on their mind never not feeling guilty about it so I think people just don't have that understanding of what it is if they were gonna glamorize it and also then all the health effects you know it's not very glamorous what it does to your digestion or then your hair's falling out your, your female like lost your periods like there's all those other things 
probably your skin's getting flaky um they're not very glamorous sides quite often it because it is a taboo within society we don't talk about these things so thank you for talking about that already thank you for telling us a bit more about what, what the reality is like because I, I definitely feel blind to that that side of it um, and it's really good to hear it and really good for our listeners to to hear your honesty about what it is like to to live with an eating disorder so that people understand that there isn't the glamour that perhaps some people might see and it is a, a it is a mental health condition it is a real battle and it's a struggle for people yeah I think it's really difficult when you say that what I was just thinking is because as well we don't know so someone who might be very thin for example they actually might have a very healthy relationship with food and eat a lot of food but for whatever reason that's their natural body shape and so it's almost like I understand also where that taboo comes from because you can't just go up to someone and be like do you have an eating disorder because well one they're probably going to say no but then maybe they don't but they just look like what you think someone with an eating disorder would look like so it does get kind of complicated as well that co- that comes on to exactly what I was sort of just about to say, which is I personally find it easier, probably because of my job role, to speak to those that are perhaps overweight about lifestyle changes, choices, and 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 their options, perhaps about exploring either with myself or with other people, other professionals that can give them advice. And this probably comes down to my lack of knowledge, but I find that having the discussion with those that may be thin more much more challenging. I think you you cover it quite nicely there it's a hard one to address because you don't know whether they're just thin naturally or, or or perhaps there's there's a reason that they're thin and that's related to disordered eating or an eating disorder yeah I mean I would argue too in terms of people who are in a BMI category of being overweight actually that could be someone's natural body shape and they're you know getting enough sleep they're eating their fruit and vegetables they're going for exercise but actually for that person it would be very hard for them to lose weight and actually they would have to do like disordered eating behaviors you know in order to lose weight so it is very complicated I think we like to think oh if someone eats in this perfect way then their body should look a certain way but it just isn't that simple and that's where all the problems I guess come in with people trying to pursue that how can we help people if we if we recognize friends or family are suffering and struggling how can we help them yeah so I think the first thing is to be compassionate because I I hope in my answers before, like, and you also said it, that the person is probably struggling with what's going on. And then depending on where they are in kind of, I'll say eating disorder journey, it feels a bit cheesy, but I think to begin with, people are often in denial, thinking I'm not sick enough, like not wanting to change because of the fear of changing or sort of telling someone about it. So someone might kind of be quite resistant about it. I know for me, when I was under eating like my parents were saying I'm worried about you my dad was nearly literally crying saying you're going to end up in hospital but I almost like wasn't hearing it I was like no I'm fine it'll be fine which now I recognize was very hard for him um to deal with but I kind of was so blinkered about it so you might kind of get that response for a while but I think it's about assistance maybe kind of showing them um, like a website so there's like the beat website if you just type in like beat charity eating disorders it will come up or like national center for eating disorders i've got a lot of information on that you can say you know to kind of show them um, and sort of send them a resource yeah and i think as well unfortunately for people with eating disorders there are a lot of things that you can say that could be triggering for them um in terms of like making them want to eat differently so like one uh, example is you know if someone says oh you look well 
And then people thinking, oh, that means that I look fat and almost like their brain is filtering that information differently from how you intended it. So if it is a family member or like a good friend trying to have that conversation with them and saying like, what is it helpful for me to say? What is it not helpful for me to say around you? Um, I know definitely when I was struggling, my parents were kind of frustrated because they were like, there's almost nothing that we can say to you that you're not going to step up. But like, I was so underfed that I was constantly hungry like constantly misinterpreting all these things so I think it is just about that patience um to try and help someone and sort of direct them to the resources that hopefully they will come to in their own time and I suppose if you can back to what we were saying about in the beginning about finding that person's why helping them see look if you stay like this you're missing out on all of these things in your life and again there's not one magic answer the person has to kind of come to that themselves but you can you know possibly show them start showing them or start helping them see oh actually no this is not the place that I want my life to be anymore and are there any early signs to look out for that someone might be having an unhealthy relationship with food yeah again I think this is so difficult just because there are so many diets out there now that it's almost normal to be like cutting out a food group or exercising a certain way um but I say if someone becomes like very rigid around food, so I mean like um, like they have these food rules that they're not going to break or it's like that is a good food, that is a bad food and like never being flexible about it. Because I tend to think of healthy eating as like, okay, yes, like lots of fruit and vegetables, whole grains, like protein, inverted commas, healthy fats. But okay, if you want to eat like that most of the time, but still having like if it's someone's birthday, you could enjoy a slice of birthday cake. And that sort of thing. So if you do notice that they've got these kind of rigid food rules and they're putting like food, exercise, um, those sort of things over and above what used to be important to them. It is a very, it is a fine line because I understand too, like maybe if you do want to work out three times a week, then sometimes you are going to have to fit it around other priorities. But do you know if someone's say going out for like a three hour run when they're not training for a marathon or something and ignoring other priorities I suppose then you notice okay this might be a problem for the person I suppose if they get very defensive and snappy about it yeah it's really hard I think you just have to like say approach it sensitively really I think it's a really good point that you make about um, being rigid around food because I, I would consider myself to have a fairly healthy diet but I definitely have takeaway I definitely mm. eat a big family bag of crisps every now and again I'll definitely eat biscuits but I would still reflect on my own diet and say, yeah, I've got a good balanced, healthy, healthy diet because it isn't that often. I see it as a treat. And to me, that seems like a reasonably healthy relationship with food. So that, that's a good point about noticing when people start to become overly rigid and, and they're always avoiding anything that, that's deemed to be unhealthy at all. Yeah. And then I think also, I suppose on the flip side, and um, if like food is disappearing from your house, maybe someone's sort of binging on that food or you're kind of finding like, lots of empty packets um I suppose more so with kind of children like in their room if you find oh look there's all these empty packets they're spending their pocket money um on all that food that would probably be um a warning sign as well what does a bespoke plan look like for somebody with an eating disorder or what does sort of individualized care look like what other professionals might be involved yeah so I would say a doctor um monitoring physical health regardless of what the eating disorder is preferably a dietitian, especially if someone 
um, is really undereating or someone has been um, like taking laxatives or making themselves vomit just well on one hand kind of education around food hopefully from someone um, that the person trusts like the, okay the dietitian has got a degree in nutrition um, you know these sometimes like when I have clients they're like oh I can't have that food and I can't have that food and I kind of ask them like okay who told you that you can't have that and it's like some random person on Instagram had said it but they don't always believe me when I'm like you know you can eat that food in moderation you'll be fine um so I think the dietitian for that um and then also so say if people have been restricting and eating very low calorie if their body weight has dropped um considerably actually you need to eat a lot of food in order to put on weight because your metabolism will have slowed down a lot but once it kind of gets um going again you kind of go into hypermetabolism so burning more calories. So someone might actually have, someone who doesn't want to eat might end up having, well, not having to, that sounds a bit harsh, but like eating like over 3,000, 4,000 calories per day that if they were kind of just on their own, they possibly wouldn't want um, to do that. So I think sometimes for some people, having a meal plan that's structured can be quite helpful. It can sort of take away from needing to make those choices around food because you're just basing it on the meal plan for a while until you get more in touch with your hunger and fullness cues again until you feel in a better place to make those decisions for yourself and yeah I know when I had an eating disorder I was like I do not want anyone to tell me how to eat but now I can kind of evaluate the pros and cons for some people it is helpful to have that and um, so yeah a therapist too to help you um kind of looking so as well for eating disorders often it's like um I, I never want this to sound offensive because when if someone said it about me I would kind of be offended um, but it is a lot about self-worth or self-esteem and what you think of yourself as well and I noticed that I think my eating disorder not the only factor but one of the factors was that um, I kind of went on various diets all throughout uni but they never got like out of hand I would say and then when I finished my undergrad, like all my friends moved away. Like I really prided myself on like getting a first and being really good at studying. And I didn't have that anymore to like give me that self-esteem boost. I did like a sports club. Um, I was like national, international level. Like that was giving me that kind of boost. And then I didn't have those things. And then I was like, oh, I'll be really good at going on this diet. I'll be really good at clean eating. I'll try and look like an Instagram influencer. Um, so I think if I just like had more of that self-worth or I thought I was enough I was good enough or whatever possibly things might have turned out a little bit differently but then again I'm in the bigger picture I'm glad it happened because now I can see the flip side for my clients but I think yeah if someone just has things going on I don't even know what the question was now I'm just going off um, but I was going to say if someone has something in their life that's possibly really difficult for them to deal with because we're really I don't think we really are taught unless our parents are really good at like allowing to feel your emotions and coping with really difficult life situations and like traumas with a big T or trauma with a little T so that could be like you know moving schools when you're younger away from all your friends again not knowing how to cope with that or like a loved one dies and you kind of don't know and so eating disorders can often be about managing emotions as well so it is a food like yes it's a food and all the food rules but actually it's also about a lot more than that as well yeah, sorry, I've got the question now. I've gone, I've gone round in a circle or roundabouts. <laughs> We've actually ended up answering three or four amazing questions all in one. So, because one of the things I just picked up there was was around self worth and the importance of having that self worth for recovery, but but also prevention as well. And, and something that 
even as clinicians, I'm sure Andy's the same, we'll, we'll try and find the positive. In, when patients come in with injuries, we'll try and find the positive in, in their situation as well. And really, especially if you can tell that there is a mental health element to, to their pain or their presentation. So I'm not surprised that that does cross over, but I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought that that would be part of it. So if there is some advice to take from that, it's that do your best to try and find the positivity in what that person is doing and in their life to help them see that their, their life doesn't have to be consumed by the eating disorder, perhaps. Is that, uh, is that a fair interpretation? Um, yeah, I think so. And I think, again, be prepared to be met with resistance. Like some of my clients openly tell me, like, someone gives me a compliment and I do not listen to it. It's like it almost doesn't come in. But then someone says something negative and that's the thing that I pick up on. I ruminate about for days. So it's about helping the person change those sort of internal filters that they've got for the information. But yeah, you, I suppose as the friend or the loved one or the practitioner, uh, you could help people start to almost like modeling in a way, like you're kind of showing them by example, how to think about things a bit differently. I remembered your question now, it was about therapy, wasn't it? Or like um, what practitioners might be involved. The kind of gold standard treatment for eating disorders is cognitive behavioral therapy. That's not something that I do actually, because I'm like, okay, you can get that on the NHS when, so my eating disorder was kind of up and down. I had the restrictive phase and then I did start eating kind of more normally, but then it went into bulimia, which literally only last week I was reflecting on this. Um, I think a big trigger for that getting worse was because actually it turned out to be like a coping mechanism for when I didn't want to go into uni and do my PhD. Obviously it's a lot more than that, but in a nutshell, but I realized that came from me thinking I'm not doing good enough at this PhD but then ironically I was doing really well in the beginning like I collected all my data in like a few months I got my first study I was trying to publish it but then like I was on holiday then my supervisor was on holiday and then we had to look at the data and then and then that took several months and then I just thought oh I'm not doing this well enough and then the eating disorder kind of got a lot worse and I was like oh isn't that interesting again I wonder if that was different if things would be different now but you can't like dwell on dwell on that um yeah I was just going to say currently with everything that's been going on for the last year are you are you speaking to more people are you seeing more people are you finding that this has been a obviously it's been a significant trigger for lots of people's stuff that's going on but have you, have you found there's been a been a rise or an increase or, or whatnot yeah just super quickly my point on the last one was actually before I started going off tangent was going to be that when I was offered CBT I'd had two sessions and then I didn't take it so that's why I'm like okay not everyone wants that so I want to offer something different um but in terms of the pandemic so kind of the overview of what I saw like firstly so actually I changed my website to be more clear about what I did so I think that's why I kind of saw an increase as well um but yeah I did kind of get more inquiries then from people who knew they had an eating disorder but maybe they've been kind of like oh, I'm too busy I don't want to address it or you know maybe if kids have been going to school that like their parents hadn't noticed something was wrong because they didn't see them sort of eating every meal of the day and then when everyone's in the house together it's kind of more obvious what people's behaviors and patterns are um, and then it was kind of steady and then when the when was that when we were kind of out of lockdown um, and then we were going back into the second lockdown. Then I saw more people who had started like a diet or exercise program at the start of lockdown. And then they realized can't snap out of this anymore. Almost like it was my choice to do it. But now I'm like exercising, even though I don't want to exercise, I feel like I have to do it. Otherwise I'm going to be so guilty or um, kind of feeling like when they could go out and eat in a restaurant, they almost like didn't want to and were kind of scared to do that now. So they kind of recognized in themselves, like this isn't okay anymore. 
so like kind of early stages but also not early stages because it's been quite a few months and then um, I got quite a lot of inquiries over Christmas and New Year I don't know if it's just because it's like New Year new me type situation um yeah and then it's been kind of steady again really since then where would you in fact I, I kind of know the answer to this already because I have website envy I'm looking at look at your website and it's brilliant um, oh <laughs> Can you tell, tell our listeners actually a bit more about your website? Is, that, is there any other resources that you'd recommend and signpost people to? Yeah, so I already mentioned about the BEAT website, which is like just type in BEAT Eating Disorder Charity because they've got information for like if you're struggling, they've got information for care, they've got like all sorts of um, different resources. And again, the National Centre for Eating Disorders, which is where I did my specific training. And then on my website, I've got like a free download. So if you're... Um, thinking like oh, what are the pros and cons for me I've got a free download um, which is kind of to help you explore those things I think it's really good but you do have to put in the work and actually answer the questions it's not going to do it for you um, but if you do that um, hopefully it's going to be really insightful what else have I got oh yeah podcast um, which is kind of like this really it's just kind of chatty telling like uh, people's recovery stories and kind of their insights and what they learn and then also evidence-based side and me sort of giving answers as well so i had to listen to a couple of the episodes of the podcast the bit i really liked was the kind of the stuff around like the survivorship and sort of recovery and the, some of the positive messages as well and i, I found that really useful because there's lots of uh, or really interesting sorry there's lots of in-depth discussion but then there's also kind of showing that you know with the right help and support things can progress and whatnot and things can Im- improve with in whatever that might be for that person yeah I think it's so important to like believe that recovery is possible for you and I think hearing other people's stories like is such a good way to think okay they've done it I can do it and again I know it's not that simple but I think it's really good kind of spark to think oh look that was their low and again really difficult like you're saying coming back to the sick enough comparisons like just because their story is different I always say to people like don't wait until you're at the lowest low to get help like that's not <laughs> not very nice uh, place to be like if you recognize it now and you think oh well I'm not as bad as that but your life could be so much better if you didn't have um this eating disorder so yeah I just I love uh hearing people talk as well and hearing their stories so it's kind of nice for me thanks so much Rachel um one final question going away from eating disorders a little bit now just just generally what what do you enjoy to do regarding reading or listening do you have any other podcasts or books that you're particularly interested in that 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 you enjoy I feel like I enjoy like personal development stuff I really love learning about neuro-linguistic programming and so the course that I did for that was like 120 hours and some of that was kind of like online lecture type stuff and then we had obviously had like the in-person practical elements as well but just love learning and sort of stuff like that about how the brain works and then to be honest I'm kind of gone off podcast listening to podcasts for a while I think you can get a bit overwhelmed can't you with kind of the same um so I've just been listening to music when I've gone for a walk recently like I paid decided to pay to Spotify so I've got a lot of songs um to kind of get through at the minute yeah I'm just so ready for lockdown to be over and just see your friends and kind of get a bit back to normal to be honest I think that's part of it isn't it where that's probably why you've gone away from podcasts towards music just it's a little bit easier to listen with when we're a little bit more stressed than we would be then sometimes concentrating and learning is hard so yeah just giving ourselves a break is fine sometimes isn't it and just listening and letting go escapism 
Yeah, it just puts you in such a good mood, doesn't it? Listening to music. Sometimes, like you say, podcasts, you've got to think about it a bit too much when you want a break. <laughs> it seems a bit weird. We're putting people off podcasts whilst talking about talking on our podcast, but yeah, it's uh, totally, totally fine. If you, if you need a break, then yeah, sure, switch off, listen to music. I think that's really important. Final thing, Rachel, um, can you tell our listeners where it's best to find you or contact you just so if they've got either questions or if they actually um, want to seek help with yourself, how, how best uh, can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so my website is theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk and my Instagram is like rachel.evans.phd. Actually, I just put on today like no advice in DMs in my bio because sometimes people are like, oh, how can I do this? But as we've already talked about in this podcast, I could just tell you something, but you're probably not going to go and do it. So I just was like, oh, no, if you've got a genuine question or you want some help with with something, that's probably fine. But if you want a magic cure, I don't have a magic cure for you. <laughs> Great. I think we've ended on a negative note, but thank you so much for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I think it's absolutely appropriate. Um, you know, you want people to uh, come to you down the right channels because it is impossible to give bespoke individualized advice for instagram we, we both get the same uh, and as such you know if you're seeking help and advice it's much better to go down the right channel so that you can actually get the advice that you need so uh, absolutely not negative at all we agree yeah i say to people as well like i've got an 80 question questionnaire that you fill out before an assessment like i can't do that with you on, um, on instagram but yeah. oh and obviously um what we haven't said that you can go to your gp if you think you're struggling with an eating disorder, I know we mentioned about um, doctors earlier and who would be involved, um, but obviously you can access NHS support through your doctor. Rachel, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate, appreciate your time on a Sunday evening. Yeah, thank you so much. That was great. Another excellent podcast. I'd really enjoyed that. Rachel was absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I think that my takeaway... <laughs> takeaway i mean takeaways are part of a normal eating diet really i mean one of the things that she mentioned was that um it's not about people with eating disorders eating more you know she hears she says she hears all the time that they've been told just eat more but what she what she's really championing is that it's not so much about eating more but it's about eating normally you know things like takeaways are healthy and i'm going to carry on eating my family bag of crisps because i'm quite comfortable that that fits into my healthy eating plan so um I, I thought that was really good just to myth bust the, the concept of, of uh eating normally yeah finding a healthy relationship with food right um what i enjoyed was diving a bit deeper with that person getting on a level with them talking about stuff that's not just about the eating disorder but you know she spoke about talking about the tv shows that they watch for instance like getting on a level finding out that person's why and then and then the other points that um i think are really important for listeners to hear is you know it's not just females and uh, though, and they're not just thin with eating disorders are, are, are not always just thin. Uh, I found that, that very interesting. I hope more than anything, we're just breaking down that taboo that we, we spoke about right at the start and just making it normal to talk about it. I've, I've heard, and we've spoken about on previous episodes that conversations create empathy. When, when we start talking about these sorts of things, people can get a, deeper understanding of why people might make the choices they make and, and end up in in the difficulties that they're in so yeah more than anything i just hope that this helps people to to understand absolutely and it was really kind of rachel to to share her, quite a lot about her story and i think hopefully our listeners um will take a lot from that as well you know diving into kind of 
the the trigger that she mentioned how she got to that point and the thing that sort of maybe tipped her over the edge to the point of where she uh, her, her eating became disordered uh, I, feel, I found that was you know really kind of her to share that so sometimes I think it takes bravery to come out of the worst of it and that's not always easy to do and it's not always the right time but being brave can really help with those situations so yeah thanks thanks again Rachel and we hope you enjoyed the show don't forget to like subscribe and look out for our our next podcast Uh, we're on Apple Google and Spotify can't wait to have you back for the next one thanks for listening if you've enjoyed the show subscribe and give us a five star rating we'll keep bringing you the gold Follow us on Instagram at the.healthspace and for any questions or ideas for future content, email us at thehealthspace.co at gmail.com.